0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer, quickly. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us through it. So we do pray, Lord, that this evening, as we reflect on it, that we will once again see that you are good and you are gracious. Remind us of these things, we pray. Amen. Well, tonight we'll be taking a look at a verse out of the book of Matthew, chapter 6. So I invite you to follow along as we meditate on this verse together, which will be verse 24. So please open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It reads, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, as you can see, I think the verse speaks quite plainly, and its meaning is not obscure. However, we will find it a useful verse to reflect on as an exercise in self-inquiry, and that is, we will melt over the parts of the verse to draw out aspects of the human nature and the nature of God, so as to measure our own hearts against those ideas and assess where we stand. So in our brief time together, I want us to take the verse as it presents itself and consider three things— Namely, one, that we are enslaved to something, two, the opposing principles of different masters, and three, the kinds of commitments God and money evoke from us. So first, let us acknowledge that we are always enslaved to something. Perhaps like in no other time in human history, we live during an age where we think we are free, free in the sense of libertarian freedom which is the ability to choose something with the option that we could do otherwise. This is possibly more so true in the global West, where our institutions and markets and governance are all based on the ideas of pursuing what we want, at one level collectively, and then down to the individual level. But our verse, from the lips of the Son of God, says that no one can serve two masters, it hardly seems likely that Jesus means that we cannot serve two masters on the initial condition that we chose to do so as if we had the alternative option of serving no one. Now our text seems to make it clear that there is something about our station as humans that is based on creation that we are consigned to servitude. The question that then is raised is which master. Our text this evening removes the guesswork for us by explicitly stating that the two masters that Jesus has in view our God, and money. The word money here is the Greek word mammon, which my ESV Bible footnote indicates is a Semitic word for money or possessions. Curiosity got the better of me, and I did an internet search on the word, which opened up a host of articles and links to mammon being more than just an earthly object, but sometimes interpreted through the ages as a reference to fallen angels or having its parallel in pluralistic religions as a false god of wealth. However, we didn't be interested in running down that line of thought. As is often the case in the biblical witness, our problem in the world is not with the things of the world, but with the corruption in our hearts that has left us to lust after such things. We don't need to empower money and possessions with a demonic spirit to attribute to it the power it can have over us. Our flesh has power itself to lead us astray with such things. Furthermore, it could be It would be wrong to only consider only opulence and excess as being the only threat money can have on our souls. Those who feel the lack of money and possessions can just as easily be twisted by their desire for it and for it to shipwreck their lives. So, to bring us back to the direct point of this section, we are the kind of creatures that do not belong to ourselves as much as we would like to think we do. Indeed, This harkens back to the founding problem of disobedience in the garden from the Genesis account account, when Adam and Eve, as vice rulers over God's creation, sought to usurp God's rightful ownership of all things for themselves in order to become like God. Their disobedience points to a key word in this conversation, which is obedience. That which we are obedient to, and we have to be obedient to something if we are not ourselves God's, is that which we are enslaved to. Second, did us see how the principles of God are opposed to those of money by the dispositions they draw out of us? That's a bit of a wordy section header, but let's see if we can work through it. Our text says, either he will hate the one and love the other. What I want to draw our attention to here is the stark contrast Jesus uses to describe our dispositions towards God and money and then conclude from that fact something about the designs and purposes of these masters, namely that they are opposed to each other. It seems clear that both emotions referenced, love and hate, are not given so as to expect that one is reserved for one particular master and the other emotion for the other master in a permanent sense. That is, we don't assume that love is for God by pairing the positives and that hate is for money by pairing the negatives. The point is that hate is the disposition towards God, if money is your master. And love is your affection, towards, your affection towards money, if it is your master. From these contrasting dispositions, we can conclude something about the nature or foundations of the purposes and designs of both these masters such that if we are obedient to the one, it bubbles up hate for the other. We hate it because its design and end are opposed to those of the master we love. So what are the designs of God for us? Whereas the Westminster Confession so famously asks, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever is the responding answer. Now I don't want for a second to diminish the first part of that answer by highlighting tonight the latter part, which is to enjoy him forever. Because one way we glorify God is by enjoying him. Because we are then doing the very thing he created us to do. We are functioning according to the design of the Creator when we enjoy Him. So one design of God for us is our enjoyment, and specifically our enjoyment of Him and in Him. And this is opposed to the kind of enjoyment that money offers us, which is the empty and contradictory promise of self-satisfaction. It is empty because we are not equipped to satisfy our deepest longings and desires of our souls. We know this to be true in the way we seek after the approval of men And women around us. And it is contradictory because if we could satisfy be satisfied with ourselves, then we would have no need for money and the things it affords us. Another design God has for us is to make us depend on Him and trust Him. For those who He has called unto Himself, He is our Heavenly Father, and just as it is a parent's joy to give good gifts to a child, likewise it brings God joy to provide for His children especially when they look only to him as their provider. He loves it when we trust him as the one who knows what is best for us and also when it is the right time to give us each gift. This is opposed to the purpose of money, which is merely to bring about the fulfillment of our own desires whenever we want them and whatever we want. Money deceives us into thinking we can have these things this way. It promises to make us self-sufficient, and in control of our de- destinies. But by its very deceit that promises a freedom it cannot deliver, we become ensnared into an endless toil to gain the thing we think will set us free. Lastly, a final design God wants for us is our sanctification. God wants us to grow in holiness, to increasingly see us set apart from the patterns of this world unto the pattern of godliness and spiritual maturity so that we are fit to enjoy heaven. However, money would have us think we are simply fine as we are, that we are the mold around which reality should conform, and it's lies to make us think it is the very power to see that end accomplished. And so we see that if God is our master, then we love our master's ends and designs. It is with love that we seek him out to commune with him and to enjoy his presence in his word read and spoken and prayed. And with that taste of the divine presence, we hate it when worldly tendencies seek to invade that, invade that end, and would draw us away to empty shells of self satisfaction. We love that our Heavenly Father demonstrates His wisdom and care for us by providing for our needs in the measure that is just right, so that we neither take Him for granted nor doubt His care for us. And having experienced His fatherly care for us, we hate it when we're tempted to feel solely responsible for meeting our own needs when we first apprehend them. We love that our holy God, who lives in the heavenly places, is careful to clothe us in righteousness and to to transform us into citizens in that holy presence. And we hate it when the feeble assurance of money and possessions is to tell us that we are perfectly fine however we find ourselves on any given day. So the pressing question has to be asked, do we see things similarly this way, or is it the reverse? Do we hate the purposes of God? Do we hate the idea of enjoying the almighty creator of heaven? Do we hate the thought that we must depend by faith on the promises and care of God? Would we rather be pragmatic and certain and strive after these things for ourselves, thinking that we, after all, know what is best for us? Does the thought of an eternity in heaven carry a stench of boredom to your nostrils? Or would you rather indulge in the carnal pleasures your body seems, to fit, seems fit to enjoy right now? How does the response of our heart measure us in these manners? Thirdly, let us see the kinds of commitments God and money evoke from us. Looking back at our text, it says, Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Whereas we saw in our prior section, our emotional response to service of our masters sheds light on their purposes and designs and how those are opposed to one another. Here in this verse, we see, given their purposes and designs, what kind of commitment they evoke from us. On the one hand is devotion, and on the other is despising. Now, I realize this may sound almost like a parallel reflection as the previous one, but the difference in mind here is more than considering emotions, but the resulting, lasting posture we take towards either God or money. A cursory survey of how the word devoted is used in the Bible helps define it for us as setting something apart or giving something over towards some end or purpose. In the Old Testament, the phrase devoted to destruction is very prevalent. But this is not to make us think of the commitment negatively, albeit how serious such a phrase is, but rather to see that which is commanded by God is given over to God for God's purposes, which are always righteous. In the New Testament, the word devoted shows up almost always in the positive sense of giving oneself over to loving and serving the saints and to doing good works, as was the case for the criteria of widows in First Timothy chapter 5, for the receiving of aid from the church. On the other hand, the word despise almost always seems synonymous with rejection, that is to reject something. And frequently it is used when sinful men reject that which is for their good. For example, when mankind despises God for the foolishness of idol worship, or when Israel rejects God's blessings or promises for false hopes of the culture around them, or when they despise his discipline and do not yield to it, or when men reject wisdom for folly. When God is our master and we know the designs he has in mind for us, become devoted to him, it is our joy to serve him because he is our good, since he is the good and we give ourselves over to his service because he is doing, Because in doing so, we draw near to that very thing that we were designed to enjoy. And by this, we enjoy him more than just a fuzzy, warm feeling, but in the sense that he is our deepest rest and satisfaction, and whose courts one day is indeed better than a thousand elsewhere. As a good master who has authority over us, we do not despise his judgments, but take him at his word to seek shelter in him, and to hide ourselves in the cleft of the rock amidst the swirling tempest so that paradoxically he eases our anxiety and fear of him. When money is our master, we despise God. We despise his gospel as foolishness and incomprehensible. We see no gain before the eyes of men if we were to do what God says. Instead, we only anticipate the mockery and shame of the world's opinion of us. We would rather turn ourselves over to our depraved thoughts and strive after the satisfaction of our fleeting desires than to recognize that God's ways are for our good. In light of this, how do you regard your commitment to God? To what have you given yourself over to, and against what do you reject? So in closing, let me say that all we have been considering together is a litmus test for our heart. The truth of the matter is that we were all born into rebellion against God. Our hearts are corrupt, and our will is bent away from him. Given no external action, our disposition is to hate God and to despise him. Given the choice, we would choose against him all the time. But, in God, but God, in his kind mercy, addresses this too for us in the gospel. Because instead of just leaving us in our wretched, sin-sex state, he sent Jesus to die for sinners. And not only did Jesus bear the shame and guilt of sin, but he also lived a life devoted and in obedience to his father's will and purposes so that all who would turn in faith away from their rebellion towards God could be credited with the very righteousness of God and experience true freedom and service to him. Do you see what a kind master God is? Listen to Jesus when he says, Come to him, all you who are heavy laden, for his yoke is light and easy. His word is full of his gentleness to his children. Consider how God highly esteems your piety as a pleased father who watches on and notes what you do for his sake in secret. He demands no pomp and show, like some like to think. His approval of your faith-filled action pleases him, so that you do not need to seek the approval of watching men and women. Consider God's faithfulness and dependability to provide for your daily need so that you need not be anxious for the future, for your life is in the hands of the all-powerful God of all creation, who arrays the birds of the air and the flowers of the field with splendor. Consider how he sees your service and acts of kindness to those around you, such that he stores up for you a reward to be received in heaven among all your spiritual blessings, which no one can steal away. And consider how he keeps your days filled with good works that he has prepared in advance for you to do so that you won't even have time to think of the cares of this world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for your generosity and your kindness and your mercy and your goodness. Pray that you would continue to remind us and strengthen our faith to depend on you Do not be tempted to stray after the things of this world or the false promises and empty promises that they offer. May we see you always as the greatest and highest good and that we would see your love for us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.